This is just why it matters, and the program is about conversations with people from different walks of life. My guests are subject experts as well as people who have the lived experience of being blind or who have low vision. We'll cover topics ranging from sports, arts, social events, and everything else across the spectrum for as long as it helps you lead a full life. Welcome to Just Why It Matters. Welcome to Just Why It Matters and I'm Kenneth Poir. And today with me in the studio, I've got Ryan Honshuten, who is the youth support worker with Visibility. Ryan, welcome to the show. G'day, Kenneth. Thank you very much for uh, having me on the show. It's a privilege. Ah, Fabulous to have you here. Now, Ryan, we want to talk about the youth, the young ones, the younger generations, the people who are going to be tomorrow's adults and tomorrow's leaders. But we're talking about young people with low vision or with blindness. But before we get to talking about them, let's talk about you. Can you give us a little bit of a background of how you yourself have, well, were you born blind? Did you acquire this vision impairment? Yeah, sure. No problems. Well, I was born fully sighted, but then um, some cancers decided to grow in my eyes. And so at the age of around 10, 11 weeks, they took out my right eye. Then they tried to fight to keep the left eye there and keep it happening. Uh, Lots of radiotherapy, lots of chemotherapy. Really don't remember the first two and a half years of my life and Mm. spent it mostly in uh, hospital fighting that cancer. And unfortunately, they lost the battle and ended up, you know, it's either lose the the child or lose the eye. So mm. I think they made the right decision oh, by taking I think out the so. eye. Yeah, I think you can so never too. tell, can you? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so that's, yeah, that's my life. And um, I was always raised as a normal child, was never given any compensations for being vision impaired. I remember telling my parents once, you know, when they said, go clean up your room at the age of five. And when I said I can't because I'm blind, um, <laughs> I reckon I ran so quick after I said that and <laughs> probably still running to this day because of what I said, you know, because my parents didn't stand for stuff like that. You know, it was a case of it doesn't matter that you're blind, get on with it and clean the, you know, clean your room. So let's say I never used that excuse again with <laughs> mum and dad. No, not even well, to this day. <laughs> seems like it's worked. Oh, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> now let's talk about the young ones that you've been involved with working with the youth here, from children to teenage to young adults. Talk to us about what you see are some of the main differences between how they're responding to this disability, if you will, versus the people of all the generations, if you will call them so. That's a really complex question, and it's a good question too. I think the biggest thing I've noticed over the years, because I've been working with the children since 2005, Mm. uh, even though I've worked at Visibility since 2002. Really funny, I went to an 18th birthday the other day of one of the kids that I do recall coming them coming in when I was working on reception when they were first diagnosed as being vision impaired and they were well, not even a year old yet. So, oh. And now I went to her 18th birthday. You know, wow. you know how frightening that is, Kenneth? You know, <laughs> it's quite scary. But um, From a and, timeline perspective, uh, Absolutely, yeah. you know what I mean? And I've known this child all her life, you know, and you think, wow, and it's not a child anymore, it's an adult. <laughs> anyway, so... I would have to say the one thing I've noticed that's standing out more is the connectivity, the communication between these children of today is much higher and much better compared to what it used to be. Now, I'm thinking back, if I go back to 2005, 2010, sort Mm -hmm. of that era, Mm -hmm. 
when Facebook was still emerging, social media was still emerging, it was still coming, it was it was around, yeah. but it wasn't huge. Mobile phones weren't so smart. They were they were getting there, mm-hmm. but once again they weren't that huge. They weren't that and this is not even long ago, is it really, when you think about no, it? No, not at all. What I noticed is a lot of the kids back then would occasionally swap phone numbers. And we're talking about phone numbers that started with nine, three, something, 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 you know. Yeah. It wasn't a number that started with O four. Yeah. Um And the kids didn't even swap email addresses because, you know, that just wasn't something that a lot of them did. Yeah. So I found their connection. We used to run a Saturday club here at Visibility or what was then the Association for the Blind. They would basically come in on a Saturday morning, 9 o'clock. They would hang out all day doing a variety of things, games, stories, books, you know, reading, playing a bit of music, the Wii, the PlayStation, all that sort of stuff. But then after that Saturday, they very rarely connected up or got together. What I'm noticing now is the children of today Mm -hmm. aren't just connecting up with people, vision impaired people in their own state. They're actually developing national or nationwide networks. No, you're kidding. So No, absolutely. Because what's happening is, is they're all meeting each other on social media, Mm -hmm. realizing that they're all vision impaired or, you know, blind or whatever they are. Mm -hmm. And they're connecting up and they're chatting. I mean, for example, like for myself, through my uh, involvement with cricket, goalball, braille, music camp, mm-hmm. I've actually got youth that come to me for advice or help or assistance or a bit of a chat from Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, Adelaide, you know, South Australia. I haven't got Darwin and Tasmania yet. So I've got a bit of a network. But once again, it's all social media that's allowed for this to happen. It's the, it's the simple pick up the phone and have a text. Yeah. So... What I've noticed is the network for these children has expanded. So no longer do they just talk to their friend in mm. Perth. They, they are talking to friends and even overseas for some of them. Now, you told me a story not so long ago about one of the events, Salsa, and what happened afterwards in terms of connectivity. Oh, my goodness. Um, so we had earlier this year, we had our Salsa camp, which stands for Social and Life Skills Camp, in April. And we confiscated the kids' phones during the camp. Because we wanted the children to interact with each other. We yeah. wanted 15 interactions rather than 15 screen times you yeah. know, each day. We gave the kids back their phones on the last day of camp, being the Thursday when we're heading back here to visibility. By the Monday, the Easter Monday when we got, you know, after we'd been back, mm-hmm. by that Easter Monday, there was something like 700 <laughs> messages that was going in this little group that they'd organised. 700 messages. Now, I flicked through a few just to make sure everything was above board and everything was okay. And generally it was. It was just them talking about camp and what Mm -hmm. they were having for breakfast that weekend and all that (laughs) sort of stuff and Easter. and But, you know, and it was just, this is so good. This is so amazing. These guys are carrying on a chat. Yeah. That's fantastic. So, yeah, no, that's what I've noticed with children of today. Now, Is there a difference between the aspirations of these younger generations? Because things have come so far, opportunities are abundant. Are there differences in the way they aspire, what they want to do, what they want to do with their lives now that you've got all these other new pathways? Generally not. I believe it's, or I feel that it's, stayed pretty much the same. You, mm. I mean, look, we're all different. We're all, you know, different human beings. We all have different 
beliefs, you know, characteristics, mm-hmm. all our personalities are different. So I find there's still some children that aspire to go to university, yeah. go to extra study, and there's some children that aspire to come straight out of school and go to work, mm-hmm. and there's some that are leaving school and have absolutely no idea what they want to do. That sounds like a teenager. It does sound like a teenager, and it sounds like just a normal, everyday teenager. Yeah. Um, You know, if I look at my own family, look at my nieces and nephews that I've got in my own family who aren't Mm. vision impaired, Mm. you know, one of them told me the other day that they were going to leave school um, in year 10 because they hate school so much, (laughs) you know, and I didn't argue with them. I just went along with it because I wanted to hear their perspective, you know, what they they were thinking. Uh You know, so I find that even with the children who are vision impaired, it's the same. They all have a variety of different ideas, pathways, mm. you know, some are just so dedicated to their study. Some find study easy, some don't. Mm. But then that's just a general thing everyday life. I'm, me personally, I'm the worst student in the world, Kenneth. Oh, you, me and you, I'm me and quite a number of others. absolutely worst student in the world. <laughs> and yet, you know, it used to, it was so ironic because when I worked here at Visibility um, at one stage as a trainer, when mm-hmm. we used to deliver the certificate one and two in business and IT, yeah. I was one of the trainers <laughs> and I had to lead this class of students. And, you know, I used to laugh to myself all the time and think, Ryan, this is so ironic. You are the worst student in the world. And now you're trying to motivate these students, you know, but then I love doing it and I yeah. love the training side of it. And yeah. I loved pushing those students and getting the best out of them or encouraging is probably a better word, you know, than pushing, but motivating and encouraging them and getting the best out of them. I mean, so. You want them to be, to be the best that they can be. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. But yeah, I'm, I'm more of a practical person. And some yeah. of the children I work with now are the same. They're not a studier. They're a practical person. Give them mm. a practical job to finish to do, they'll get it done. Ask them to read that textbook and they're like me. They'll run another <laughs> hundred miles in another direction, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about, let's keep talking about the person and let's talk about their psychological framework. Do you think that the same psychological concerns and things that keeps them awake at night, is there a difference between perhaps older people who are blind and these younger ones? Look, apart from the connection and not so much isolation, apart from that, I don't think much else has changed. You know, Mm. the things that they are still thinking about, especially as teenagers, is, you know, that hurdle of the driver's licence coming yeah. up when they're 16, oh, yeah. 17. That's right. Um, it's that acceptance of being accepted, you know, at, at their school as a person with a difference. You mm. know, they've got this disability. They stand out. They are a little bit different to everybody else. Yeah. And we all know what children are like. Children always like mm. to point out the differences with anybody. It doesn't matter whether your hair's brown, pink, red, blue, or, <laughs> you know, you wear different coloured shoes or something, or yeah. you've got you know, a nose that's extra long or something, you know, children always seem to focus on that and, and, and you know, identify it and yeah. make a note of it. In my time working with children here, that sort of thing hasn't changed. They've still got that. They've still got that whole, what am I going to do with my life? Mm. You know, where am I going to go? Where, who am I going to get married to? Oh, who am I going to get a relationship with? Yeah. And can I find someone to get a relationship well, with? That's- Will- yeah, that's an interesting question because I was going to ask you, what sort of concerns do they have about finding a, a live partner or forming, you know, a, those intimate relationships? Do they step back and say, this is too difficult for me? Or are they, 
other ways that they get around those difficulties. <laughs> oh, I mean, look, come on, mate. These are teenagers. They've got <laughs> rampant hormones. I mean, <laughs> they, they want a relationship just as much as anybody else. The one thing I find strange is listening to some of the children is what their parents are telling them. And their parents quite often are telling them, mm. you're not to find another blind person to get, you know, to fall in love with. You've got to find a sighted person because it's going to be easier for you in life. Oh. You know, and and I find that really strange that the parents mm. are putting that sort of pressure on them rather than saying it doesn't matter who you fall in love with, as long as you're in love, mm. it's okay. Right. You know, so I don't know. It's it's a strange one that, and I get yeah. my parents are saying that because they're trying to, they're thinking for the best for their child. They're, yeah. they're thinking for their independence and things like that. But, you know, you you don't necessarily always need a sighted person around to do things, um, right. especially these days, you know, yeah. when in the day of online shopping and, and ordering taxis and Ubers, so at your fingertips with your smartphone, yeah. GPS on your smartphone, everything you need on your smartphone or your tablet or your, your iPads and computers, um, yeah. life has got 100% easier mm-hmm. than I recall it being, you know, back in the late 90s when I was or, you know, early 90s, late 90s when I was emerging from school and starting to get my life together and, you know, yeah. looking for relationships and falling in love and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. About the only thing that's not accessible still is Tinder because um, <laughs> I can swipe left or right on somebody, but I don't know what they look like. So <laughs> it's like, which some oh, people might right. argue that, that that's a better thing that I can't, I'm not judging their looks, you know. That's true. Um, that's but true. anyway, so. <laughs> now, you've spent so many years working with young people from, like you say, from the time they're children to the time they're teenagers right up to the times that they're now living a life of a young adult. Can you share share with us a story that jumps out and sticks in your mind? Oh, a story that sticks in my mind. Mm. Um, that's a really hard question, actually. One person whose life has left you with a lasting impression. It's really hard to find one particular individual that's left me with that lasting impression because mm-hmm. everybody is so different. Yeah. And I get a kick out of any of the children that I've worked with that go on to good and great things. You know, whether that be employment, whether that be study, whether it be sports, I don't really single it out. I think I I enjoy and get so much inspiration from each and every one of them mm. you know so it's it's there's no one really one person that stands out does that make sense like yeah. because yeah I, I think that would be unfair for me to have one person mm-hmm. that i give more to or enjoy talking to more or working with more right. it's it's a case of just trying to share myself out as much as i can yeah across all of them so i know that really doesn't answer your question but i think um, it's a fair answer because um like you say everyone's so different and the way each one's life has impacted you is so unique. You can't just point one out. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, there's there's some that inspire me because they're, you know, going into the junior Paralympic program. Mm. There's others that are already in the Paralympic program. There's some that have gone on to university and finished two or three degrees and now working wow. with the state government. Yeah. Um, there's some that have had to work really hard through the TAFE system and are now working at the local government level or, or state government level. There's others that have battled their ways through school. They've had had really hard time at school, left school, gone to TAFE and university and mm. absolutely excelled and now are doing really well. That's great. Now, you've spent so much of your life and you shared so much of their lives. Is it hard to step back sometimes when you see a kid who's growing up and they're sort of spreading their wings 
I know you want them to spread their wings, you want them to go out there and succeed, but as a person who's been involved in their lives or some part of their lives, how do you step back and say, I'm glad, but now it's for me to step back and let them take flight? It's possibly one of the biggest challenges I have because part of what I do is with my work with the children and the parents is to try and encourage the parents and the teachers and the people that work with those children all throughout their lives is to always constantly step back, step back, step back. Yeah. And I find it very challenging myself sometimes to step back. And I think it's just having to talk to yourself, that little voice in your head that reminds you, especially when they're 18 through to about 21, mm. when they come to you with a challenge or a problem, it's to rethink it and go, all right, now I'm not going to do this for Kenneth. Mm -hmm. I'm going to find out the information for him. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give it to him. I might have to assist him and guide him through doing it, but I'm not going to actually carry out the job for him. Yeah. So I might find out who the, they need to speak to or what they need to do, put it all in touch, put it in place and say, now it's up to you. Sounds like tough love. It is a bit of tough love, yes. Yeah. 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 You know, because if I keep doing it for them, they're not going to end up wanting to do anything for themselves. You know, I have this little analogy and you know, I say to people when I go do talks and things like that, if suddenly I clicked my fingers and I said to you that for now, from now on, everything in your life will be done by somebody. Now, whether that's cooking, cleaning, gardening, getting you ready in the morning, the whole lot, you don't have to think about doing anything, organizing mm. your life, the whole lot. You just keep on doing what you're doing and the rest of it's all done for you, okay? You walk in and out of the house every day. You don't even have to think about your washing. Mm. Now, if you lived like that for a year or two and then suddenly took it away, what do you think would happen? Oh, that's complete paralysis. You, you would go into an absolute state of confusion because yeah. everything had been done for you for two years. You'd got yeah. so used to that being, mm. you know, that, that living condition that to suddenly you know, pull that out from underneath you, Yeah, I think just a general everyday person yeah. would struggle. You wouldn't so, have to exercise any of your faculties. Not, not at all. Yeah. So because, you know, there was always toothpaste in the bathroom. There was always toilet <laughs> paper on the toilet roll holder. Yeah. There was always clean dishes. There was always a meal. There was always the gardening done. There was always cleaning done. You didn't have to think of anything. So what happens is I say, you know, and this goes back to a bit of education as well and, mm -hmm. and education assistants that help our children. You know, I always say to them, you can't do everything for these children because once they leave school and they're out in the real world, I don't get an employment assistant person. Do you get an employment assistant person working with you and helping you? Nope. So how do you do your things here at work? Well, you learn how to do it yourself. You make the mistakes. You roll with the punches. That's right, exactly. So if my boss asks me to do a job, I have to do that job. Yeah. If I don't do that job, guess what? I'm looking for another job. That's right. You know, so, and, and I think this is what happens with a lot of these children is they, they go through school and they've got so much support and so much involvement in their lives from adults and... and it's taking their independence, independence away. away from them. That's right, exactly. And then they turn 18, they fall out into the real world, mm. and suddenly they go, oh, dear. It's a rude shock. It is a rude shock. So 
That's why, you know, when I say when I deal with or work with children over the age of 18 or now young adults over the age of 18, mm -hmm. I generally will answer their questions. I'll touch base with them, make sure they're okay, make sure they're happy, make sure they've got everything they need in their life, but I don't do it for them. That's right. Um, you know, I'll, I will find out some of the information or point them in the right direction. Or sometimes where... answer a question with another question. Exactly. Throw it back at them. What do you think you need to do? Mm. Or if they make a big mistake, I often say to them, well, what have you learned from this? This mistake. You know, yeah. I'm not going to yell at them. I'm not going to be upset with them. That's right. You, you've got to just say to them, well, what have you learned? You well, know, and Ryan, quite often they answer the, you know, the right question. You say, well, there you go. Don't do it the next time, do you? <laughs> sounds like good advice and sounds like practical advice as well. I guess it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've come to the end of this conversation. If there's one thing you'd like to say to someone out there, whether it's a parent or someone who's looking for assistance with sorting their lives out, what would you tell them? The Visibility Children and Youth Services team have got a variety of occupational therapists, speech therapists, social workers, psychologists, physios, youth support officers, etc., etc. The team is quite extensive. We are here to help you as a parent as well as your child. If you've got a vision impairment or your child has a vision impairment and you need the assistance, we're only a phone call away or an email away. Or these days, you can even get on social media and find us. Don't always try to do it alone. Come and seek the support that we can give, that we can help you. And also, as a parent, you know, a little bit of tough love will go a long way to producing a very independent child. You know, a little bit of tough love. Sometimes you're going to have to let your child make a mistake. Sometimes you're going to have to take that five minutes extra to get ready to allow your child to tie their own shoelaces rather than you tying it for them every day. Because, you know, when you're no longer here on this earth, when you've moved on, so who's going to tie your child's shoelaces for them then when your child's now 40 or 50 years of age? You don't want someone still doing it for them then. You've got to think, you've got to plan for the future. You know, how's my child going to live independently once they're out of my nest, once they're out of this home? It's a very hard, confronting subject, but it's something that all parents need to do and they need to think about it and think about what they can do, what what they can put into place now to assist their child in 20, 25, 35 years' time. Thinking ahead. Yep. Fantastic. That's a good wrap and where we're going to stop with our conversation today. Ryan Honshuton, thank you very much for sitting down with us. Thank you, Kenneth. Thank you for joining us. And that's just why it matters. I'm Kenneth Poir, signing out.